0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Clueless Capitalist, where we discover interesting startups, interview founders, and help you become less clueless
1: with angel investing. My name is Razi. And my is Osman, and welcome to the Clueless Capitalist.
0: So in this episode, we have Tim. Tim Davis, he's the co-founder and chief operating officer of Waiter. And Waiter is the only mobile ordering and payment solution that increases the capacity of Flossa, increases table turns and increases average ticket size. But what does it mean for someone like us? Essentially, you go to a restaurant, you can place an order of a QR code, you don't need to wait for getting the attention of the waiter and you can order your meal, you can pay for it and you can leave all from the convenience of the waiter app. What is the what is the origin story of waiter? Like, you know, when, when, uh, when we met many years ago, um, you did share with me that you know you uh, you shared screen space with Shahrukh Khan in a, in a in a Bollywood movie, and then since then you went on to start Waiter. So I'm just curious to know, like, what is what is the origin story? How did Tim? How did the two teams meet together, and how did Waiter come to be?
2: Sure. Uh, so, the the origin story of Waiter is actually uh, my co-founder, Tim W, was in a restaurant here in Singapore uh, and basically, everything that could go wrong with the experience did go wrong. So, everything you talked about, Razi, about didn't get a menu when they were seated, took ages for once they eventually got the menu, took ages for the get, the restaurant staff to come over and take the order. Once they did take their order, got it wrong, so, they brought the wrong food when they ordered it. So, they had to go back and swap it. Then, they wanted to pay at the end and couldn't wait to pay the bill. Like, the, there was just not enough stuff. This, this particular restaurant was like just working their butts off, but still delivering a terrible experience. And so, that was, that was the impetus to, to Tim W to go, I, I can solve this. I know the industry. I, I know that we need tech, that like everyone's got a phone in their pocket. Why isn't, why aren't we doing this already? Uh, so that was, the, that was the origin story for Waiter's tech. Uh, how Tim and I met, we actually met at a Tech in Asia conference uh, when I was working for another startup. And uh, Tim was going around just meeting with other startups and getting to know the industry and the space. And, and, and so we got chatting about startup life and just sharing some of the wins and, and challenges that come in startup experience. And so we, we were literally friends. for for something like two years uh, before I joined Waiter, he was looking for someone to join the team and his wife was pregnant, and so he he was uh, due to, to to give his wife was due to give birth in Europe, and so the day I joined was the day he got the call, and he flew out of the country, and so I I literally joined Waiter uh, and met the team without Tim Tim W there, uh, so that that was the start of us working remotely. Uh, obviously, he's been back to Singapore since then, uh, but that first period we were just working remotely, and and so we, and our tech team is based overseas, so we're, we've been really. Really comfortable working at a in a virtual environment. Well, since well before COVID.
0: Such an interesting story. I hope I hope uh, that that particular restaurant that gave Tim W a horrible experience has now uh, been onboarded as a client. And I, I actually don't know what the name of the restaurant is. I should follow up with them and see whether we see whether we're signed
2: them.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So Tim, over to you to explain to us what Waiter does.
2: So this is Waiter, where your digital waiter with a team of only 10 people we process 27 million dollars in gmv and this is how we do it so you touched on this before but a, a third of a restaurant's expenses goes towards manpower and so that's the cost of recruiting and retaining and training wait staff which is a massive headache and it's just getting worse with the inflation in cost of raw materials for restaurants and so in response they're investing in technology like food ordering kiosks like what you see in quick service restaurants or tablets on every table, which is what you might see in a full service restaurant. But neither Solutions really all that great from a a consumer perspective, nor for the restaurant. So uh, no one likes inputting their credit card details into a shared tablet. And so what that means is that you can take the ordering from the tablet, but then you've still got the hassle of people having to pay at the cashier. And kiosks, it's basically just moved the queue from a human cashier to a machine. And as you can see here, it's not a great experience for consumers. And so with Waiter, We, exactly what Razi said earlier, so guests walk into a restaurant, they scan a QR code on the table, it brings up a menu, they can order, they can pay, the order is sent into the point of sale system of the restaurant, and all of that is done within 15 seconds. And then the the real aha moment is when they're done eating and it's time to pay the bill, they go, I've just got to wait to, ah, I'm already done, and then they stand up and leave. And so. Uh, it's it's quite easy for a restaurant to get started. They we we digitise the menu for them, and so we digitise the menu, create the QR codes for them, and they can go live in as little as 48 hours. Uh, waiter handles the payments. So we charge 2.5% per transaction, as well as a monthly fee, which varies a little bit depending on which functions of waiter the the restaurant takes up. But on average, it's around $89 per month per outlet. And so the restaurants, I've already mentioned that they've saved on manpower. So that's a massive headache. So they're they're saving on that. Uh, They also increase their average check size through automated upselling and cross-selling. They also increase table turns because faster payments and faster ordering means that you can seat the next guest faster. And then they get access to data that they have never had access to before. So from a point of sale system, you can pull what people have ordered. But what you don't have is insights about the consumer. So how often are they coming back? you know are they a first-time customer have they changed their purchase behavior you know can you reach out to them again if you haven't seen them for a while and those are the sorts of things that waiter provides Uh, we've we've been doing this version of waiter uh, since 2019 and we're already doing double digit growth but then COVID happened which as you can imagine led to a sharp decline in GMV during the restaurants but that when they were closed but the demand for our solution mass skyrocketed so we grew 5x between 2019 and 2020 We almost doubled in 2021, and this year will at least double again. uh, But we're fundraising, and so we're planning on deploying that capital and accelerating our growth to to really push through. And with that, we'll be processing $100 million in GMV within 12 months. Uh, But we're not stopping there. So we specialize in mobile ordering and payments, but that's only a piece of the solutions we provide to restaurants. So the next component is Uh, Restaurants struggle to get access to capital. So they want to open a new outlet, but they've only been around for three years or less. And so they've got this very profitable business, but banks don't want to lend to them. So we could partner with fintechs to provide them with access to data. So using all of the information that we capture, so not only their revenue, but also what are the repeat rates of customers? What percentage come from first-time customers? How does that compare to the category? Then we can work with fintechs to lend them capital to open new outlets or replace equipment. FMCG players like Unilever or Diageo or Heineken want access to consumer insights. So they spend millions of dollars each year on market research to understand the purchase behavior of people buying their products. With Waiter, we've got those insights. So oftentimes an alcohol supplier will only know how much of a particular beverage they're selling to which restaurant, but they won't know who's consuming it. So if they launch a new variant, they won't know whether that's cannibalizing their sales or whether this is incremental growth and they've increased their market share. And where to queue our payments. So we always have been doing ordering and payments combined. There's a segment of the market which we're not tapping into at the moment, which is the high-end dining, which is where people still wanna order the traditional way from a waiter, but uh, pay with their phones, so pay with waiter. And so the idea would be that in a restaurant where you've it's high touch, high service, then you can order from the staff. When you're done eating, Uh, You scan a QR code, it looks up the open bill on that table in the point of sale system and then you pay it and then you leave. So it saves you the pain of having to wait to pay the bill. We play in the on-premise dining space, which is four to five times bigger than the delivery space. And you know how well-funded that is, so so the opportunity is huge. Uh, That's not me, that's my co-founder, Tim Vekeser. Uh, He comes from the restaurant business, so his family owns restaurants. He has grown up in the space. He's got more than 20 years F&B experience from being a chef to a waiter to a restaurant manager, running restaurants in multiple outlets and across multiple countries. But he's not alone. He's got a team of entrepreneurs who work with him uh, with exits before. We're now raising $3 million uh, from a mix of VCs and angels. So we have a a portion set aside for angels, Uh, hence the, the relevance of this conversation. Uh, And we're raising from angels on a convertible note and the the VC round will be on an equity round. Uh, And using that, we're gonna be investing in two key things. So one is sales and marketing. So the tech is pretty much there. We don't really need to build that many new features. It's, It's a case of rolling it out. We've already, as you can tell by our volumes, we've already got pretty significant scale. So now it's a case of expanding that. And the second portion is investing in more point of sales integrations because the more restaurant POS integrations we have, the bigger the market we can service.
1: I mean that was a, a great presentation Tim and so for, from my perspective uh, I've got a few questions because you, you mentioned something about the the scale of cost for the traditional kiosk solutions so in that term how is it um, you know what type of uh, scale of magnitude are we looking at between a kiosk type solution versus a waiter I mean is it quite cool. expensive or
2: Significantly, significantly more. So the if you're looking at, at so the, the two elements that we talked about was a k- kiosk and then a tablet. So tablets are easy. So basically the, the key difference there is the cost of all the tablets. So if you've got 50 tables, then you're gonna pay for 50 iPads. Or you could go with a cheaper old Android, but it's still 50 devices on every table. And you have to, you've got the operational cost of having to plug them in every night because if you don't plug them in, they drain their battery. Then you've got the replacement cost. So kids drop them, they get drinks built on them. And so those costs are massive. Whereas if you compare that to the cost of a sticker, so it's that's orders of magnitude different. It's not like 10X, it's more like 100X. Uh, if you look at food ordering kiosks, so the ones which you see in quick service restaurants, uh, I believe that it's thousands of dollars upfront cost. But then you've also got the cost of the real estate, so it's taking up space in your restaurant, and in a restaurant you pay your rental based on a, a floor spaces, and so every square that you're taking up, and you don't have a table there, is is expense. So yeah, it's it's significantly significantly more than yeah you know, ninety dollars a month.
1: Wow. and uh, in terms of the the floor square, you know, the square footage savings that you're making, is that ever like a, a real factor that? you know, restaurant owners, restaurateurs would look at when they're comparing solutions or is that something that you have to bring out in those conversations? We might highlight it
2: if a restaurant flags that they're considering getting a kiosk. But as a general rule, we don't specifically target restaurants that would consider kiosks. A kiosk Mm -hmm. is a very quick service restaurant like setting and we typically go after full service restaurants. So. It doesn't often come up. But if it does, generally, the restaurant wouldn't decide based on cost, although that is definitely a consideration. It's more the experience. Do they want to have you know, a full service restaurant experience where people are ordering from the tables or do they want people queuing up and then ordering and then going to the table? And so it's a good example of investments that restaurants are making in technology. Uh, but generally, we target you know, full service restaurants, which is more akin to the tablet on every table as opposed to the kiosk.
1: Got it, yeah, um, and, uh, and one thing I know is because I've used your service and I think it's amazing um, and uh, and that's just me being trying to be unbiased but it's genuinely completely changes the experience that I have within a restaurant, like I, I go into a restaurant, I'm one of those unique individuals that walks into a restaurant, can't get hold of the, the attention of the server, can't get the attention of a server when it's time to pay. In fact, the only time they pay attention is when you get up to leave and then suddenly you haven't paid and it's like, well, I've been waving you down for 20 minutes and you've not turned up at my table yet. And other times where you've walked into a restaurant and you've seen the queue and you just walk back out again because you think, I just don't have the time. And I've walked into cafes where I can just go sit down, scan the QR code, the product arrives at my table and I've already paid. So when I'm done, I just need to get up and leave. Completely changes the experience for me as an individual because uh, I have social anxiety. You wouldn't guess it, but having to actually like shout a waiter to, to get their attention, I, I really don't like. And I, and I don't think I'm alone in that.
0: Just to add to what you're sharing, Osman, I think one of the things I've always struggled with whenever I go to a restaurant is, I still don't know what the right etiquette is when you, when you call a waiter. Like you just raise your hand, you wave a wave at them I know some people have some strange ways of calling a waiter and you don't want to come across as rude and I still don't know uh, what the right way is. And I like to go to Dutch Colony Cafe, which uses a uh, waiter. And when I go in there, I I not know, I still, even before i start dining before i place an order i already feel at ease knowing that there's the waiter qr code there i can just say scan, make my order make my payment i don't even need to be like trying to wave at the super busy uh, waiter and trying to get the attention uh, for the menu once the menu comes i'm ready to order i have to wave again to get them to come over it causes me as well some form of uh anxiety and now knowing that there's a waiter solution in that particular cafe i feel so much more at ease like i'm already at ease even before i begin so so then my question then is knowing the experience for the user and what you've shared for the restaurant owners um what kind of pushback do you get from restaurants because to me it seems like a almost like a no-brainer solution especially now where with COVID, people have this apprehension about touching surfaces that have been touched by others. I think that's why in Singapore we're going increasingly cashless, and even for menus, like people don't want to like uh, be touching or be holding on the menus that were touched by another person. So I feel that this is quite an obvious solution for a restaurant owners. So what kind of hesitance or what kind of pushback have you uh, seen? That
2: yeah, no, it's you've raised a good point. So the the biggest pushback we get is specifically the perception of a reduction in customer service so a traditional restaurant especially like a mum and pop shop where they've always had their kids serving customers and they feel like one of the things they proud themselves on is getting to know the customers and spending time and taking the orders and the perception is if you involve technology in that you're going to lose that customer interaction and what they don't realize is and one of the things which we actually explain is using tech and using something like wetter isn't to replace your wait staff it's to free up your staff's capacity to provide a better level of customer service than what they're currently doing so if they're running around taking orders and processing payments then that's not actually customer service that's taking orders and processing payments and they might make mistakes they might accidentally get the wrong order or they might uh, not They might miss guests who've been trying to get their attention for some time or they're, ha- they're frantically running around processing bills when they should have been you know, working with the customers. And so, if you can give the transactional elements, which is the order taking, the payment processing, the technology, then you can free up that staff to get to know the guests. You can recommend the specials. You can answer their questions about the menu. You can check whether they've got sufficient drinks and now their water, is it water topped up? Do they need a baby chair? Is the air conditioner dripping near them and you've just never had time to deal with that? Uh, And so it's it's all of those things which can build a much more pleasant experience than if you've got staff frantically running around just doing the transactional elements. So one is the preference or the perception that you're going to reduce your customer service. That's one complaint. The next tricky one to overcome would be if there's a point of sale system that they're using. That's an archaic land based solution, which doesn't have integrations. So that's a tricky one. It's not one which we overcome easily. We, the way we deal with that is that we can provide tablets and printers. And so what would happen is that the orders can either print directly in the kitchen. So we'll provide two, a, a bar and a kitchen printer. And so then the chef who's in the kitchen will be preparing from the point of sales uh, printer or the waiter printer. So that's one solution or another solution would be to provide an, the ordering and like the, the exact same thing out near a cashier and it becomes part of someone's job to manually key those orders in. And then what happens is that that's still at least 10% more efficient than having the staff go to every single table, take all the orders, take all the payments because it's all centralized and the guest has already paid. I think those are the, probably the two biggest complaints we get. The other one actually which we've now solved is prior to two weeks ago, uh, guests had to pay before their order could be sent to the kitchen. So. The way that waiter was originally designed was that guests would order they would pay when the payment was confirmed only then we would send the order to the kitchen Uh, we've now got a solution called a tab function where guests can order place a hold on their card they can order multiple times and the orders are sent to the kitchen and they only pay the bill when they're done eating and so that's one of the things which is unique to waiter uh, and we're super proud of it because it's a better correlation to the offline experience than what we previously had. So we were getting huge amounts of you know, demand for our service, even with prepayment, but we think this is just gonna
1: accelerate us further. That's great. I mean, um, so a question about the technology. We talked about scanning the QR code and an app, but I noticed that you're using a web app uh, as your primary tool. Just talk me through why you've decided to do that.
2: Sure. Uh, so web app versus native app, those are sort of the, the two terms in case people aren't familiar with it. So a native app is where you download an app from the app store and then it'll be on your device and always there. Uh, and then a web app is it has an app like experience, but with, from within your browser. We actually had a native app for many years before we launched the web app. And it's really good for takeaway because it means that you've already got it on your phone. You can open up when you're getting ready for your lunch you order from whichever you choose your restaurant you've already logged in your credit card details are already saved you order and then you choose your collection time you grab your food and go however we wanted to play in the dining space we knew that take take takeaway would ultimately become a battleground for the delivery players because they already had you know people coming in to collect food and they already had menus and they just needed to enable guests to collect their food instead of riders And so, dine-in is where we always wanted to play. And in the dine-in space, if you have to force someone to download a native app before they can send an order to your kitchen, it's a huge barrier to adoption. And so, we made some significant investment in in the web app and it's massively paid off. One thing that's interesting is when you're designing a web app, you still have to be careful around how you capture the minimum amount of data to be able to send your order. So, the goal is to get the order into the kitchen with as few taps as possible but remembering enough information about the consumer so they don't have to repeat it the next time. So an example would be uh, Waiter saves the guest credit card details. Obviously, there's Apple Pay and Google Pay these days, so guests don't have to key in those credit card details. But if they do, you don't want them to have to key it in every single time they order. And so with Waiter, they key it in that first time, the system tags it to their unique customer ID. So if they come back again, that's already saved and then the next order is even more efficient.
1: Right, that's great. I mean, and, uh, and the reason why I ask is because working at BlueJeans, um, we've actually switched uh, to mobile WebRTC as well. So it really streamlines the whole experience from being able to request somebody to download an app to get into your meeting. You can just click on the link and you're, you're in You're in through the browser experience. And, uh, and that, for me, make sense so the the way you switched over to uh, the web app really for me made sense as well and tying it in with the Apple Pay um, in my example it really makes sense because I don't need to enter in the credit card details at all I just double click and I'm done um, which is great Just. Onto the question about how this this web app gets customized, how long it takes to get something done for a particular restaurant and to onboard them. Uh, How long does that take? Is it months to get them on onboarded? It it depends on the level of customization.
2: So we've got our standard look and feel, and then we've got a black version of that. Both of those are instant, so we could go live in 48 hours. Uh, if you're looking for a completely custom solution where you want to change the UX or the UI, or you want to add some extra features, it depends a little bit on capacity. So if we had a huge number of restaurants all asking for it at the same time, that might increase our lead time. But typically, we can do it in eight weeks, which in comparison to one of our largest competitors, it takes them 10 months. Uh, so I think it's the reason behind that is that we specialize completely in mobile ordering and payments. So some of the other players in the market do a combination of factors. So they'll do kiosks, they'll do tablets and they'll do mobile ordering. Whereas we just do mobile ordering plus some you know, marketing components to that. But it means yeah. that when we're looking at the UI UX, we only need to optimize for mobile because that's what we do.
1: Okay. And I notice that your payment model is 2.5% of the commission payment and then $89 uh, outlet. Does any of that pose a barrier to sale but for you guys? Let's say you've got 20 outlets in a in a country. Does that suddenly become a, an issue for, for restaurateurs if they're... Uh, if
2: they're you? Yeah, the $89 is pure margin for us and so that is something which we can negotiate. So if there's a restaurant that is going to have lots and lots of outlets, obviously, we'll offer them a discount on that. Uh, yeah. Same story if they're pushing huge volumes. Then we've got some room to move on on the monthly fee and then a little bit of room to move on the transaction fee uh and so yeah we have a pricing so that it's very clear and it's easy for restaurants to say yes but also we're flexible if it comes to big volume restaurants that we know will, you know there's going to be a really big uptake and we, we know we can add value then we're, we're flexible
1: okay and in terms of the analytics that, that come from that what were people doing before waiter came along i mean uh, was it literally just paper-based trying to work out who's ordered what and what you've run out of at the end of the day
2: that element so what you've ordered and what you've run out of that's been managed by the point of sale systems pretty well except for those restaurants that literally use scratch pads so you know like it, hawker centers obviously don't have sophisticated qr ordering and so that's And that's just not what they they operate in. The high volume restaurants that we work with, they would have to have a point of sale system. Uh, So we let them handle that element of the business. So we don't look to be a replacement for the point of sale system. We specifically aim to be POS agnostic so we can work with any POS and it. The restaurant doesn't need to change POS's in order to to work with us. The insights that they get from us is uh, either they didn't have it before. And so they might occasionally do surveys of their guests or they'll eyeball it. And so, oftentimes, you'll hear restaurants saying, ''Ah, oh, I know who my regulars are.'' And that's because the staff, be the regulars, come in every day. But there could be someone who goes there once a month who actually is a regular, but they're not there frequent enough that the guests would know or that the staff would know. And whereas with waiter, the system would know, like, ''This person's been there 24 times because he's been coming once a month for 2 years.'' Uh, and so, that's the kind of insights they can pull out of waiter that you they wouldn't mm-hmm. have had before. The other one would be customer feedback. So our system automatically sends a, a message to the guest saying, you know, based on your most recent experience at, to use Raz's example, Dutch Colony Coffee, would you recommend that outlet to your friends and family? If they give a, whatever response they get, that can be shared internally to Dutch Colony. And if you choose to, they can you know, they can share that on Google reviews. And so we've got ways of encouraging the likelihood that people will share positive feedback on Google reviews.
0: And it's yeah. that's really, really interesting because uh, I was just uh, looking at uh, data and portal yesterday and they were saying that in Singapore, one of the the second source of new brand discovery is actually word of mouth. And that's where reviews, online reviews are super important. I'm just curious to know, like in terms of the number of restaurants, right? How many restaurants are there uh, using Vita currently?
2: Uh, It's still early days for us. So we've got roughly a hundred restaurants. Uh, a bit over 100 these days, we're, we're adding about, at the moment we're adding a f- three to five restaurants a month to the platform, uh, but with this fundraising we're expecting to significantly accelerate that. Uh, so in- it's, about, it's about 100, uh, and most of those are in Singapore. Where else are uh, we uh, in? Uh, we're in France, the UK, Spain, uh, Singapore obviously,
0: Australia, Malaysia, uh, and USA. Wow, that's that's, that's quite a big uh, global footprint. So in total, like across globally, how many restaurants are using? Globally, it's still only 100. Like it's something like 80
2: or 90 are from Singapore and then the rest is outside of Singapore. We only launched outside of Singapore during COVID. So we saw that as an opportunity where we were getting inbound requests from restaurants overseas. uh, And we were like, now's the time to, to give this a crack. Because if it dies for whatever reason, then, you know, everyone's going to be more forgiving because right now these restaurants are hurting and we can perhaps help them. Uh, and so we did exactly that. And thankfully, we were, it, the system held up to it. Like we, we, we already had established a global, global payment gateway. We already had people who spoke, spoke multiple languages. So it was easy for us to do the translations. We could take multiple currencies and we had POSs that were globally relevant. So uh, it was actually quite easy to, to add extra countries.
0: Okay, and I'm just curious to know, what is the acquisition process like Does a salesperson from Vita walk in into a restaurant or do you approach like the Restaurant Association uh, of Singapore and say hey look, we want to give a talk to all of your members to tell them about this QR based ordering system that can help them uh, save on manpower costs, especially if the bulk of the restaurants are from Singapore and Singapore we know has a big issue when it comes to F&B staff. Hiring and getting uh, people to work in those restaurants because of the working hours and things like that. I, Like I mentioned earlier, I thought this would be a very, quite a no brainer So I'm curious to know, like, how is the acquisition being done and uh, how could you possibly uh, accelerate it?
2: Sure. So there's a couple of elements. I just realized I didn't respond to your question around uh, no one liking to touch physical menus. I think that that's, that was definitely a factor during COVID. Like we we had people signing up with Weta just because it was a digital menu and then the ordering and payments was a bonus on top. But that's I think that's less of the case now. I think now that occurrence rate of COVID is lower uh, and while there's still some people who don't like touching menus, I think that that's not a big deciding factor for the restaurant. It's more the operational and the manpower problems that haven't gone away since COVID. Uh, So your question was, how do restaurants find out about Waiter? How do we sign them up? What's our sales cycle like? So we currently, there's sort of three main ways that restaurants will discover Waiter. Uh, One is people searching for, you know, QR ordering solutions, uh, Singapore or QR ordering solutions, and they'll they'll find us that way. Uh, The next one is through their point of sale system. That could be because they go to the website of their point of sale system, and they'll see Waiter listed there as one of the partners or they'll speak to the sales rep of their point of sale system saying, Hey, do you know any QR ordering solutions? And they'll recommend waiter uh, because ours is one of the strongest on the market. Or third, they'll dine at one of our restaurants and they'll love the experience and then they'll call us. And we've got some you know easy tools for encouraging restaurateurs who've dined at one of our restaurants to contact us. Uh, so that's the more restaurants we have, the more inbound leads we get. We, of course, have a sales team member who does cold leads as well, which would be physically visiting restaurants or calling restaurants uh, in order to get them to sign up. We only hired our first sales team member in May this year. And so uh, all of the growth that you saw in that that presentation was organic or done by the co-founders. And so in terms of accelerating, the best ways we can do that is through like outbound sales uh, and customer success. Because the more restaurants we have, the more outlets they open. Uh, as well as integrating more point of sale systems so that we get listed on more websites and then you
0: get that nice inbound lead where that we're already integrated with the POS. Very nice, yeah. I mean, and what about, this is completely not a fearless capitalist, it's almost more of like the the market and me asking you this, like what about giving talks and like, like I would assume that the way I would approach it is I I'll go straight to the restaurant association and say, look this, I have this, Um, let me um, educate or give a talk to, to all of your members, you know, I put every single restaurant association. There is in all of the markets that you mentioned and say, hey, look, this is what we have and this is how we can help. And we'd like to share some of our experience. Uh,
2: we would do that. I think it's just been a capacity constraint. Uh, so we, the way that we've done it just because we've got a small team. So we've got 10 people literally globally. And so we just haven't set aside the time to do that sort of outreach. Uh, we have given speeches uh, at ver- various events. So example would be the uh, quick service restaurant event, which was held in Singapore uh, a couple of years ago. I, I gave a speech there. Uh, we have booths at, at expos and uh, restaurant industry events, and then people will come up to us. Oftentimes, we'll partner with a POS company on that. But direct outreach to Restaurant Association of Singapore. In reality, I haven't spoken to them personally just because they are expensive for suppliers to participate in so doing sponsored content is is not cheap and so it's probably something we would do when we close the funding round
1: So um, i just wanted to go through some of your use cases as well because um we've talked about restaurants predominantly here and when i was looking on your website you've got airports you've got convenience stores and you've got hotels maybe if we can just um touch on a few of those um maybe the airports and and the hotels as well um yeah just to understand what would that typical deployment use case look like in, in an airport?
2: Sure. Uh, so airport, we were, we were working with Changi Airport, especially during COVID. And so we're still supporting some of the restaurants at Changi Airport and then mostly using it for the takeaway function and or grab and go. So the way that works is that you'll order from a restaurant before you get to the airport. Uh, you'll choose your collection time, which is usually you know 15 minutes before your flight. You grab your food and then and then you go and you don't need to... It basically solves that problem where you're rushing for a flight, you're hungry or thirsty and you're already through security or whatever it is, and you see a big queue and you're like, oh, I don't have time. So with Waiter, you can... It solves that point. So that's one use case is the takeaway one. Uh, during COVID, we actually had... We were doing gate delivery and the way that worked was we had QR codes at the various gates uh, and it meant that when you scan the QR code, it would bring up a list of restaurants that were delivering to that gate. When you place your order, it would get sent to the the kitchen and then part of the airport operations would bring the food over to the gate. And so then, uh, and they would call out your order number and you could, your food was there. That was particularly valuable because during COVID, the guests were restricted to areas. And so they couldn't walk around the the airport and go shopping. And so that was the only way they could get food. So we were, we were supporting them in that. Uh, so hotels, we obviously, we can look after the restaurant in a hotel. That's pretty that's self-explanatory. It's similar to what we do in any restaurant or bar. Uh, the key difference for a hotel is we can also do in-room dining. So we, we do that at some of the hotels. Uh, an example would be Axel Hotels in Spain. And the way it works is that guests scan a QR code in the room and then it brings up the menu, they order and then they they pay and then the food is delivered to the room instead of being delivered to the table. So it's it's using our exact same tech it's just that instead of having table numbers encoded in the QR code, you've got room numbers. Uh, so it's really mm-hmm. good for restaurants because our restaurants or like in-room dining for hotels, sometimes what will happen is that people will call to get room service and someone won't be there to take the call or the, they just don't have capacity or they'll make mistakes. So they'll call and say, hey, can I get the chicken burger? And they'll hear it as the beef burger or the beef burger. And they'll deliver the food to the room and then the room, it's not what they ordered and then they have to send it back. It's a horrible experience, whereas ordering with a digital device you scan the QR code there's no way it can get to the wrong room there's no way you can order the wrong thing and it just solves that 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 pain point for them yeah the other use cases we've got would be entertainment so uh in the event of a let's say a big music event uh or a sporting event everyone queues up to uh, get food at the during the breaks and so, that's yeah. where waiter can step in where people can order before they get to the kiosk and go and collect their food. Or if the if the arena was investing in it, you could even scan a QR code on, a, on, the, on the seat and then order and someone could run the food to you. So, instead of having those guys going down the aisle. So, we see that as, as a potential uh, space in the future. Uh, obviously, we haven't tapped fully into the hotel space. I think more and more hotels signing up with QR ordering would be, would be a good one. And then private clubs, we're already working with our Singapore Polo Club. And so, places where you can scan a QR code on a lounge or down by the pool, and then order and pay there is is an advantage because it's really hard to have wait staff going around and looking after all of those clients. So, yeah. th- those are some additional things that we we're playing
1: in. Great. I mean, like uh, the, the running joke for me is where, where like uh, where when I got some of those uh, toast shops, which uh, sell toast and tea and egg, and you've got all these different options. Um, And it's because uh, I speak with a very broad English accent and my sister, when she comes to visit, she's got a very strong Northern accent, a lot stronger than mine. And she'll she'll be like, Oh, I'd like to have this and I'd like to have that, please. And I'd like to... There's lots of please and thank yous and lots of superfluous words. And invariably, the, the order is always wrong. You know, and it's just toast and it's tea and it's an egg but I can guarantee it's the wrong type of bread, it's the wrong type of topping, and it's the it didn't come with the egg, but she wanted the egg. And and I, I just say to her, just accept that this is a fact of life, that you will get the order wrong, and no matter how often you place it. And, uh, uh, and, and this happens on something as simple as just ordering a set menu, you know, like I'd have set. For me, I'll just go in and say set A, whether I want it or not, I just hope that it can't go wrong, Um, but it shouldn't have to be like that, it really shouldn't be. I mean, you should be able to um, place the order, but it's because there are language barriers as well, and and my English accent, and my my sister's in particular, definitely don't carry well abroad and uh, and it becomes a real problem. So scanning a QR code and being able to order online takes our whole anxiety out of this uh, whole equation for me anyway. But yeah running joke here when we go, when she goes because she loves those shops she loves going to them and uh but she'll always get to, she'll receive it and she'll be like what that's not what i wanted and it's like just show up and eat it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i remember in a previous role um we were talking to hotels and one of their particular pain points was uh, they're australian based hotels they get lots of visitors from places like japan and china And what they noticed was when they were able to customize their menu for the language preference of the individual that had checked in, then they saw that in-room dining just went through the roof because people were more comfortable knowing what they're ordering rather than leafing through an English menu. They were playing around with tools that would look at, you know, what language preference that individual had and then they could dynamically update the menu as well. So if they had specials on red wine or or on white wine or something like that, they could push those through to the in-room dining experience as well. So I was, yeah, I was curious to see that the technology is still being used in, in that way. I'm not sure how you're able to modify the menus dynamically if that's possible.
2: It is possible. There's a couple of ways you can do it. So one is you use an automated translating tool. So something similar to Google Translate. Uh, yeah. And then you can you can choose from a range of different you know, languages and then you choose it and it automatically up, update. We haven't done that uh, for a couple of reasons. It, the upside from the investment in the tech isn't massive. So it's not going to lead to a huge number of restaurants or hotels signing up because they can offer it in a range of languages. And there's a risk that it mistranslates. And so you don't want to have people ordering something that just sounds completely strange to them. When Like we've all been and seen those menus where you're ordering something phallic and you're like, mm, I'm not sure that was translated correctly. So that's one way of doing it. And we know competitors have done that. It's just not something that we have looked at. Uh, the way we manage multiple languages is that we have multiple translations in our backend. Uh, and so then the system will check what the, the languages of the device they're using and then display the various fields in that language. So a French restaurant, so if I go to one of the menus of a French restaurant partner now, uh, it will display all of the menu buttons and things in English, uh, but the menu will be in French or the elements that are provided by the restaurant will be in French. If the restaurant gave us the menu in English and French, then it would display it in English because it knows that my device is English. So it is something which we could optimize further, but it's not something that we're exclusively focused on in terms of tech effort.
1: Okay, and, and yeah, so that was going to lead me on to the airports one as well because there's people from different parts of the world and different yeah. language. Can, can, can we manage that? Uh, the yeah. beauty
2: of what well, the answer is, we could manage it. We we haven't we haven't chosen to, except for what I've just described around about automatically changing the language mm-hmm. based on the, the preferences. The other thing which is good about uh, ordering from a device is that it means that you've got time to order and you can translate things yourself. And so you, maybe their ability to read English is much stronger than their ability to speak English. And yeah. so being able to order from a phone instead of having to verbally tell someone what you want and then respond to questions and then they might get it wrong, it's a lot easier doing it from self-service.
1: Yeah, got it. Okay. I've got a few questions around the, the growth as well because you, you showed your growth in twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one. It was roughly around sixty-eight percent growth. Um, yep. so um yeah, so you have shown that there there's about um yeah about sixty eight percent growth between twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one. And then from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two, there's a big That's jump. That's aggressive. Yeah. Uh, that one is uh,
2: working on the assumption that we close our funding round very quickly and then deploy the capital straight away. I th- actually think that's probably a bit optimistic. We guaranteed we'll hit at least 24 million US uh, because we're already processing more than 2 million a month at the moment. Uh, and that's not even factoring in seasonality. So Christmas is always massive. And so it's probably more likely, it, even if we didn't close our funding round and even if we didn't deploy any, any extra salespeople or anything like that at least we'll hit 28 million, but I'm actually expecting that it will be higher than that.
1: Okay. And in terms of your funding round, obviously when you've got this type of like um, uncertainty, um, what valuation are you going in with for that funding round? Sure. Uh, it
2: depends to. a little bit on the the type of investor. So for a VC, uh, because it's an equity round and the ticket sizes are higher and therefore the percentage of the business they would acquire is higher, uh, it's a US $12 million valuation. Uh, if it's for angel investors and they're looking at a lower uh, ticket size, then we can give them a discount and especially as it's a convertible note, which means that they'll be able to provide the funds faster. We do it on a convertible note with a valuation
0: cap of $8 million. All
1: right, okay.
0: What's the minimum ticket since we are speaking about our uh, into investing? Sure, it's 30,000 US. Okay, and could you just go to the slide where you shared about that if, how the funds are going to be used? The obviously
2: that it's going to contribute towards our GMV and our transactions and look at us new restaurants but that, didn't say, that doesn't say how. Uh, the bulk of it will go into sales and marketing Uh, So literally employing more salespeople uh, as well as perhaps one marketing person and customer success. So customer success, meaning improving the percentages of our current restaurant partners and making sure that they're working well so that when they open a new outlet, they think of us as well. And then the, the extra component, the remaining, it's roughly a third, will go towards our tech, which is specifically point of sales integrations.
0: Okay, I mean the the, the goal of 1,200 new restaurants is uh, it's, it's quite ambitious, but then you you aim to do this over the next 12 to 18 months, so it's going to be a fairly big uh, sales team that's going to go out there and uh, yeah, that's why that's why the bulk of it is going towards sales. Got it. And um, I was just curious. So one thing I've noticed uh, these days in Singapore is when when I want to make a reservation because there's been so many no-shows, now I have to like, yep. Pay, say $20 per pack just to, to confirm that space. So I'm wondering, do those players also have uh, ordering or is there a space that a uh, waiter is also looking to enter or is there something um, that you are already all together?
2: Uh, I would say that they would be potential collaborators for us. So no, the, the reservation players don't have ordering. As a general rule, they've never invested in that tech. So they don't have the menus, they don't have like, they might have PDF versions of the menu apps, uh, but generally they don't have ordering, they don't take payments, uh, they don't integrate with point-of-sale systems, so it's not a space that they play in uh, historically. They could partner with us, So we're both working on dining in restaurants, and so we, we could do a collaboration where whenever we speak to a restaurant and they say, hey, we're looking for a reservations player, and we could recommend someone. And the same story they could recommend us or we could you know integrate in a, in some way so the, the short answer is right now we're partners and, and not competitors
0: right and um in terms of the risk right i mean like to me it seems to me uh, as someone who's used waiter it seems to me like i shared earlier it seems to me like a no-brainer solution for restaurants and also for for consumers so then i wonder what are the potential risks or what could limit the vision of uh, 100 million GMP from being realized.
2: I think we often get this question around what are our moats? So what's stopping a competitor or a major competitor coming in and, and like, squeaking them up or or stealing our our restaurant share? So there's a, there's a few elements to that. One, one is the quality of our product. We actually had a competitor launch uh, a couple of years back and then literally we're targeting our restaurant partners and tried to get them to sign up but then they were unsuccessful in switching them over just because the, the the service that we've been providing, the quality of the solution was so good. And then that startup ended up running out of cash and dying around, around the time of COVID. So that's one is I think the, the risk of them poaching it, they would have to have a very high quality solution in order to poach our restaurant partners, especially as we've got point of sales integration. So one of our motes is, is the point of sales integration themselves. They're difficult to do once you've done them, the quality and the solution you're offering to the restaurants is so high, it, it makes it difficult to switch. That's one. Uh, the next one is the volume gain. So the more volume we process, the cheaper our rates are that we can offer. And so if someone tries to come in and offer a better payments price, they'd have to already be offering a massive volume in order to compete with us on price. And then the next one is consumer insight. So the more a restaurant uses us and the more of our solutions they, put, they adopt, then the more they're getting value out of Waiter. And so if they were then to switch to a competitor, they'd be giving up access to a whole bunch of insights that they've been historically getting from Waiter. Those are the barriers in terms of moats and what stops competitors. In terms of what are the things that could get in, get in the way of us reaching that scale, it, it's execution risk. Which would be, you know, are we capable of hiring the the right team? Are we capable of deploying our, our solution in in those outlets? I've got 100% faith in our tech and the ability to scale, just what I've already demonstrated in the growth we've already experienced, uh, and there's literally without adding any new staff members. So I'm confident on the tech side, and I'm I'm confident in our ability to hire teams. Like my my co-founder and I have got experience managing teams, so. Obviously we're extremely biased, but it is something that we we're, we believe that we have the skills to to execute on what we're trying to achieve.
1: So I just wanted to, to to comment on this because um, yeah, as an angel investor as well, typically what I'm trying to look for is a pattern and uh, and a pattern of of success. And the fact that you've got a really experienced team here, I just wanted to draw that out to anybody who's watching. Just in terms of the fact that Tim W um, is an experienced uh, restaurateur, He understands the problems of the industry intimately. Therefore, he's experienced in in that space, understands the problems, understands where the solution will uh, really add value. That for me is really, really important. Does somebody coming along and saying, oh, I think this might be a problem. is not going to work for me but when you come across somebody like Tim W who is so intimately involved in the industry they know what the problem is they've experienced it they know what solutions that can provide and and what value it's going to bring the CTO also gives me massive amounts of confidence he's got a lot of experience in terms of uh, app development and therefore that gives me a lot of confidence you yourself Tim have got the the experience within the industry, both in fast-moving consumer goods, Unilever is a great background to come in with. And then your CFO and CIO, he's done multiple startups. So I think all of this combined gives me uh, an impression that the team, even if you have disagreements, you're likely to just get behind it and just commit and and execute. And and that for me is is where. I think this is going to gonna really stand out for me when you look at the team and you're, you're evaluating them. Experience, being around, been around this before, you yourself, Tim, have been uh, a GM of a number of different uh, startups as well. So for me, this gives me massive amounts of confidence. Should I invest in a startup? If you can see this level of experience uh, and this level of uh, not just experience in the industry, but experience in building a, a business from scratch and scaling it, then uh, they, this is very much what you're looking for.
0: I mean, I, I definitely agree. I mean, one of the things that I got really interested in was the, the CFO and CIO and the fact that he's he's built a marketplace for restaurants to be order supplies. And yeah, like you mentioned, it's a super experienced team. And since I mean, it is a very experienced team. Um, like I say, I like the idea. I, I have, I believe in what uh, Tim is building. So then the question is, in terms of the potential, how would an exit look like uh, for an investor at this point of time? And a question that is um, is always asked is like, what is the potential uh, multiple for an exit?
2: Sure. Uh, multiples is very difficult to to talk about, especially in the current market, especially it depends on the region that you're looking at. So we're headquartered in Singapore and a lot of our volume comes from Singapore. And so therefore, multiples uh, on GMV are lower here than in USA as a general rule. And with the current market, uh, the multiples have, have been shrinking of late. But having said that, uh, acquisition is very much uh, on the table. So. We know that our, our space is attractive uh, because we're playing in the payment space and because we're, we're bringing an offline solution to an online solution. There's, there's multiple players who could look at us as interesting for an acquisition. Uh, payments is an obvious one. So anyone who's in, in the payments game, one of the big, big things for them is volume. And so uh, they could acquire a waiter and then basically bring our GMV across. Uh, the next one would be the food delivery space. So obviously, they play in the getting the last mile, getting the food to the guest, we, whereas we play in on-premise dining, and so that's a nice complement to them. Uh, the other one would be the table reservations platform. So you mentioned that they work with dining players, That and you mentioned that they currently don't process the payments, or if they do, it's only for a, like a reservation fee, or maybe some vouchers, or maybe a, like getting a prepayment whereas we take the whole order and so our volumes per customer is significantly significantly higher than the reservations players and so uh they could be someone that would be interested in acquiring us and so if we look at the space yeah we have seen literally in, there's even some out there ideas so one of our we're working with a pos company in spain that recently got acquired by a uh, a cash management company which was driving around literally collecting cash from you know the security like atms for example but as cash declines and then demand for their service declines and so they went around buying digital solutions which would still play in the cash space and payment space and so that would be something which is out of left field i think the the most common one would probably be like a table reservations platform or a payments company possibly a delivery company
1: that is if, if there's an angel investor wanting to Bulk to you specifically, um, what's the best way for them to reach out to
2: you? So, my email address is tim.davies at waiter.com. So, tim.davies at w a i t r r.com. That's my co founder's details. Uh, so, you can also contact him, and uh, that would work equally well. Okay, there's a better one. That's right. Yeah, it's, we often get the two teams of Waiter. Yeah, just pure coincidence.
0: So, thank you, Tim, uh, for sharing about Waiter with us. So, you've all heard about the work that Waiter is doing, how it's making life easier for us, the consumers, and also restaurant owners. And you've seen from Tim the growth that he's going to be bringing Waiter on over the next 12 to 18 months. If you want to experience Waiter and you are based in Singapore, be sure to go to one of the many restaurant partners that Vita already has on board. And you are looking to angel invest. Um, you have uh, Tim's details as well. And if you enjoyed this particular episode of The Clueless Capitalist, please remember to like, comment and subscribe. See you on the next episode.